Good morning. So this is the first uh, Sunday of September, and usually on the first Sunday of the month, we have a little table here and we have communion. We're not going to do that today. So if you came for communion, come back next week. We'll do communion next week. It's going to fit in better with next week's message. So I switched it. I feel like I can do that. Is that okay? So if you've looked in your notes, uh, then you're aware that we're not in Romans chapter 9. Last week we finished chapter 8, made it halfway through the book of Romans, all right? And I said I wasn't sure if I wanted to, to, to move straight into, head straight into chapter 9. And as I prayed and I thought and as I got some input from others this week, I decided to take a, an extended, even, four-month uh, break from the book of Romans. Lord willing, we'll be back in uh, Romans in January of 2019. That's like the future, right? Now, part of that four-month break will include the month of December, and we'll focus on Advent and Christmas. But what about the other three months? What about starting uh, today? Well, the main reason that I wanted to take this break uh, was so that we as a church could look at some of the things God's Word says about being a church. What does it mean to be a church? Over the summer, the leaders at, at Bridges have been praying and, and fasting, meeting together, uh, talking about renewal, uh, both in our individual lives and in our church. And one of the things that I believe the Lord is impressing on us, certainly me, is uh, the need for change. Now, change is a loaded word, right? It can, it can mean doing just about anything different from what you're doing. In fact, that's what it means, right? Doing anything different from what you're doing right now. If all we wanted to do was change, then we could go in all kinds of uh, strange, crazy directions. We could become uh, the social media church, right? Never physically meeting together, just texting, Facebooking, Instagramming, Snapchatting. I'm sure I'm leaving out whatever the newest thing is. What's the new one? I thought somebody said something. Okay. Or we could become uh, maybe the issue of the day church, focusing uh, not on God's word, but on whatever's happening in that particular week. There are many ways we could change, but most are not what I'm talking about. When I say we need to change, I mean we need to change within the, the boundaries of what the Bible teaches us about the church. And so as we look to the future of bridges, we need to look through the glasses of the Word of God. We need to change, not for the sake of our own comfort, not even for the sake of attracting more people. We need to change to be more in line with the Word of God. And so during this break from Romans, I'd like us to look at some foundational truths about what the church should look like, what the church should be, and what the church should do. And then, I'd like us to apply these truths to bridges. My purpose is for us to understand what God's Word says about the church and to ask ourselves, does that describe us? And if the answer is no, then to begin changing so that it does. So today I want to begin with the, what I believe is the most foundational truth about the church. 
about the Christian life in general. This is the truth that we express in both our mission statement and in our core values as a church. And if you don't know we have a mission statement or core values, then look at the walls around you. There, there they are. On both sides of the church, we have the, an abbreviated version, four points of our mission statement. The full statement is the mission of Bridges Church is to glorify God by renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered, Christ-centered change to the world. So according to that, let me ask you a question. What is the main uh, purpose, mission of the church? To glorify God. You guys are on the ball. Thanks. And then we have a new sign. I can't see it. Uh, some new signs they just put up this week. In front of the church, thanks to Dina and to Anthon. Dina made them and then Anthon put them up. And the first core value, these are our core, our church's core values. And if you, can you read them? Because we, I told them to do them really small, so you'd have to sit up closer to the front to, to read them, right? So according to our core values, the first core value is bringing glory to God. All the rest of our core values, in fact, uh, are subservient to this first. In fact, we could state our other core values in terms of the first. We rely on God's word for God's glory. We, we include members in ministry for God's glory. We depend on prayer for God's glory. We have genuine relationship for God's glory. We engage in missions in the Great Commission for God's glory. We seek our joy in the Lord for God's glory. Everything we do must be for the glory of God. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So based on both on our mission statement and our core values, we at Bridges certainly agree with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which says the chief end, the purpose of man, uh, of the church, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We at Bridges believe, at least in our heads, at least in what we write down on paper, that glorifying God is our first and our greatest priority. But the question is, are we a God-glorifying church? Do we glorify God? We know glorifying God is what we're supposed to do, but is it what we do do? And so today I want us to look at three questions. Questions about glorifying God. I believe these questions and their answers, if applied, will help us to change into a church that glorifies God more, grow in our ability, our desire to glorify God. And the first and most basic question is, what is a God-glorifying church? Before we can determine if we're a God-glorifying church, we, we need to see what it means to be a God-glorifying church. We need to know what it means to glorify God. And to do that, we, we have to first understand what this word glory or, or glorify even means. In the Old Testament, there were several Hebrew words that got translated into, uh, into English as glory. These words mean like heavy or, or weighted, to, to bring honor to. In the New Testament, there's one make, main Greek word for glory. It's the, it's the word doxa. This is where we get our, uh, our concept, what is it, uh, our word, do- a doxology, which is usually the sort of a formal ending to a service where you praise and you give glory to God. 
Doxa includes the ideas of, of giving praise and honor to showing or declaring majesty and splendor and value and, and greatness uh, of something or someone. Now, we can think of the concept of, of glorifying as, as, as maybe it's difficult. I, it's hard to grasp. What does that really mean to, to glorify? But, but we actually glorify people and things all the time. Let me give some examples right now. Have you seen Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan? This is one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. That, that death scene, it's just phenomenal. The acting is amazing. Have you been to Yosemite? It's one of the most beautiful, breathtaking places in all the earth. Have you read any of John Piper's books or listened to his sermons? He has a brilliant mind, a gift for communicating the Word of God in such a way that hearts are transformed. Have you tasted my wife's mushroom chicken? It's awesome. She's a great cook. Have you seen my grandson David? I don't think there's a cuter baby that's ever lived. We glorify the things that we like, the things that we love, that we're amazed by, the things that are beautiful, the things that are are brilliant, the things that move us. We declare their greatness. We honor them and we praise them. So to glorify something simply means something or someone means to make its greatness known, to declare its greatness. We're not making it great. I didn't, have, uh, I didn't make my grandson cute. Well, I had a little bit. There was some DNA there I passed down. But I'm just uh, making his cuteness known, right? Now, glorifying or honoring, praising other things, other people is fine to a certain extent. But ultimately, ultimately, all glory and honor belongs to God. Because God alone is the creator, and God alone is the sustainer of all things. God is the creator of art and nature and John Piper and my wife and chicken and mushrooms and my grandson. We mean to make known his, we need to make known his ultimate greatness, his infinite value and worth. Understanding everything we glorify should be glory to God, the creator of all things. And we can also just glorify Him. For example, throughout my time preparing and giving 59 messages through the first half of the book of Romans, I was overwhelmed over and over with the great love of God. How in spite of my sin, in spite of who I am and what I've done, He loves me. And by His love and grace, He sent His Son to die for me. There's there's no one, past, present, or future, who loves like our God. Our God is the ultimate lover. And that's just one example of, of rightly glorifying God for who He is, for His attributes. The hymnal of the Bible, the Psalms, are filled with glorifying God. Over and over we find the declaration of God's greatness. One example, the shortest Psalm in the Bible. Psalm 117, praise the Lord all nations, extol Him all peoples, for great is His steadfast love toward us, and faithfulness of, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Praising God amongst the nations, to all peoples, for His steadfast love and faithfulness. That's just one example. Another example of bringing glory to God, making His greatness known. So with that in mind, 
What is a God-glorifying church? What does a God-glorifying church look like? It's a church whose first and his, their main, their most important reason for their existence is that God be glorified. A church that's seeking above all else to make, the, make God's greatness known among, uh, uh, to make God's great, greatness known in their city and to the ends of the earth. A church that when people talk about it, They don't just talk about the pastor or the sermon for that week or the music or even the nice people. They talk about the greatness of the God that that church worships and serves and shares. And so more than anything else, whether whether on Sunday morning, whether in our small groups, when we do service projects, when we outreach, when we go to Path of Life and do meals or in our individual lives, at home, at work, in our neighborhoods, our desire must be to be a people that are, uh, that are struck, not by, that, that people are struck, not by us, but by our God. That in everything we do, we're making God's greatness known. And that's what a, a God-glorifying people, a God-glorifying church is about. And that brings us to our second question. Why be a God-glorifying church? Why glorify God? I'm going to give a, a six, six uh, answers to that question, six reasons. The first five I'll, I'll, I'll mention briefly, then I'll spend a little more time on the, on the sixth. First, we glorify God because He's worthy of glory. We, we sang about this. Chad mentioned it. In Revelation 4.11, uh, the Apostle John writes, Worthy are you, O Lord our, and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Simply put, uh, by the sheer will and word of God, He created all things, and He continues to sustain all things. Without Him, Nothing would exist. Because of Him, everything exists. Therefore, He is worthy of all glory. Second, we glorify God because His Word commands His glory. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We Christians do not belong to ourselves. We are bought with a price. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are commanded. I would say we're under obligation even to glorify God. To make His greatness known. Third, we glorify God because His Word models His glory. Throughout Scripture, we see God act for His people. God God protects. God provides for His people. And, And then we see their response to that. And their response is one of giving Him glory. Just one example. After God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, Moses and the people sing sing a song to the Lord. The entire song is found in Exodus 15. I I just want to read verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song, and and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. I will lift Him up. This is how God's Word models our reaction to God showing Himself faithful in our lives. We're, We're to make His greatness known, to glorify Him. Fourth, We glorify God because Jesus glorified God. Jesus is our example of how to live. And in John 17, 1, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. The Father glorified the Son. The Son glorified the Father. And now we, the body of Christ, must continue to glorify God. Fifth, 
We glorify God because God desires His own glory. Isaiah 48.11, we read uh, God speaking, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is for the glory of God. He desires His own glory. Now that might sound a little strange or even wrong in some ways. It would be wrong for, for you or for me, anyone else, to desire their own glory. We, we call that selfishness, egomania, pride. But that's not the case with God. God is a, a, in a different category than all other things in all of creation because God is the Creator. And like we said in our first point, He is truly worthy of glory. And therefore, we would, he would not be true to himself if he did not desire his own glory. And not only that, but God desires to be glorified by us because he knows that when we glorify him, that's the best thing for us. And that brings us to the final reason why we glorify God. Because we were created for his glory. This reason is really at the heart of our, our very existence. Why we exist as people, why we exist as a church. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. It's a little long, but I want you to get the whole uh, impact here. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there to Isaiah 43, 7, we'll talk about that uh, for a little bit. God speaking through Isaiah says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now this passage was clearly written for the nation Israel, but I believe its principles apply to us, the church. The main point of this passage is to encourage God's people uh, not to fear. They've experienced some fearful things. They're in, uh, they've been exiled. Fear not is command is the command repeated in verses one and verse five. And God gives two reasons why His people should not fear. In verse 1 through 4, he says, You should not fear because of what I, I did for you in the past. My past actions proves my love and care for you. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine because you're, my pre- you're precious in my eyes and honored. I love you. God's love is the first argument why his people shouldn't fear. But in verses 5 through 7, he gives a second reason. In verse 5, he repeats the command, Fear not. And then he says, I am with you. Because of your sin, you were, you were taken captive and, and, and spread to the north, south, east, and west. You were taken off your land. But this judgment is not my final word. I'll gather you again. Why? Because you're awesome. 
No. Because you deserve it? No. Because everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God's people should not fear because they are created for His glory. He has a purpose for them. He has a purpose for us. He has a purpose for Israel, and He has a purpose for His church. And and at the heart of that purpose, it's the same. To glorify God. And this is big. God created us for His glory. Our existence was planned and conceived so that God would receive glory through us. This is why Scripture again and again commands and models bringing God glory. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Because this is why we were created. This is why we as individuals exist. This is why we as a church exist. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be a successful person? Somebody say, do you want to succeed in life? Sure. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be part of a successful church? Yeah, me too. Well, then we need to get this, okay? Because until we get it, until glorifying God becomes our first and foremost value, purpose, neither we as individuals or our church will be successful. Why do I say that? Well, let me ask you this. Another question. What does it mean to be successful? Anyone have any thoughts? It's a little more. To please God, okay, good. To fulfill our purpose. To do what you were created to do. A football is not successful if you try to bounce it up and down a court and throw it into a basketball hoop. That's not what it was created for. A car is not successful if it remains broken down in your driveway. A phone is not successful if you don't pay the bill and they turn it off and you can't make any calls. Now, now this is clear when we speak of an inanimate object. They're not successful if they don't do, if you don't use them for what they're designed for, what they were created for. But the same thing is true for us. For our church, the church, our church will not be successful until we do what we were created to do. And we were created to glorify God. That's the purpose of our lives as individuals. That's the purpose of our corporate lives as the body of Christ. God created us, His church, that we might make His greatness known. That, we might, that He might, through us, fully reveal His mighty attributes His love and His grace and His mercy, His kindness, His creativity, His justice, His holiness, His righteousness, and so much more, all those attributes of God. Our purpose as individuals and as a church is to make His greatness known. And when we do that, that's when we're successful. And so the the question is, are are we fulfilling our purpose? Are we being successful? Is Bridges Church glorifying God? Are we making Him look great? Are we declaring His greatness to all peoples? Well, maybe. Sometimes. We're trying, but maybe we're not exactly sure how, how to go about glorifying God. We know, the big wor- we know the big words of making His greatness known, but how do we make it, make it happen? That's our final question for this morning. How do we 
be a God-glorifying church? I didn't like the wording there, but it's the best I could do. How do we be a God-glorifying church? And before we answer the question of how we today at Bridges can glorify God, let me quickly look at just several aspects of His glory that are unrelated to our actions. I don't want you to think that it's all up to us. We need to know that whether we as a church glorify God or not, He will be glorified. His glory is not dependent on us. As we already mentioned He was and He is glorified by Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed God's greatness when He came to this earth, when He lived a sinless life, when He died for our sins, when He rose from the dead. And now, as He's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, God is glorified by Jesus. And as as we've mentioned, God is glorified by His creation. Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Looking at the creation, we, we see his greatness, his, his creativity, his, his just ability to create uh, nothing, something out of nothing. We see his beauty, his majesty. And finally, God is glorified in, in judgment. One day, at the final judgment, God will receive glory from all peoples. In Philippians 2, chapter 10 and 11, I mean, verses 10 and 11, Paul writes, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every person who's ever lived will acknowledge the greatness of God. They'll bow before Him in honor of Him. Those who accepted Him in this life will bow in joy and enter into paradise with Him as for their gain. And those who rejected Him will bow in regret, recognizing what they've missed. But all will know of His greatness. All will know of His glory. Yes, God will be glorified. So the question for us is this. This is often the question for Christians. It's not like everything is dependent on us. The question is, how will we get in on this? How do we get in on glorifying God? How do we become a successful by fulfilling the purpose for which we were created? How do we go about glorifying God? And I believe there are at least two. I think there are others. I actually thought of some others, but ran out of time in preparing, so maybe later. Two answers to this question. How do we glorify God that we'll cover today? First, we glorify God through our words, through what we say. In fact, Scripture commands us to do this. Just one example. Chronicles 6, 1 Chronicles 16.24 Declare His glory. This is a command. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all peoples. We bring God glory by declaring His greatness. Just by telling people who He is. Telling people what He's done. Sharing the, the great things He's done in history. The great things He's done in our lives. The great things He's done in the lives of others. Pointing out His greatness in creation. And ultimately, by telling the world the greatest thing that God has done. Declaring, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, we do that together. On Sunday morning, other times, we declare God's glory to one another. We've, we've done it in song. We've done it through His Word. We'll do it, we'll do it more. But we glorify God by sharing His words 
But we also glorify God. I believe we need to glorify God by sharing the words of the gospel with the people in our lives. By engaging in uh, one of our values there, missions in the Great Commission, so that God's glory is proclaimed to all nations, to all peoples. Missiology is, I can say it, missiologist. Jeff Lewis put it this way. God is not receiving the worship, the glory that is due His name. Therefore, the mission of the church is to call out worshipers from among the nations. Every church and every follower of Jesus Christ is called to participate in this global activity. So as a church, we bring God glory by declaring with words His great love for all people. Specifically by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ that that others might come to know and worship and glorify Him. But along with our words, along with verbally sharing the greatness of God, the truth of who God is and what He's done, there's another aspect to bringing Him glory. We glorify God. This is our second second and final thing this morning. We glorify God through our works. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your good works result in God being glorified. Three, just three quick observations about this, this verse. First, Jesus commands that the goal of our lives should be to behave so that God gets glory. Live so that people will see your life and give your Father in heaven glory. Uh, not, not to give you glory, but to give the, your Father in heaven glory. So it should be clear that glorifying God is not merely an act of worship on Sunday morning. This is part of of what we do corporately to glorify God. But we also should be glorifying God in our daily lives. Glorifying God is a way of life. Second, in order for God to get glory from the way we live, we must be engaged in good works, right? It's not so much by avoiding sin that God's people display His glory but rather in the pursuit of good works, acts of generosity, works of kindness, loving others, caring for those in need. When we do these things, we're reflecting His greatness, His character to the world. Bringing God glory means we seek to good works. Let your light shine. One final observation from Matthew 5. Just thinking about the context of this verse. It's possible to do good works that bring no glory to God. There are people who, for one reason or another, spend time and money to do good, but who may not even believe in God, let alone be doing it for His glory. When, uh, when we were in Malawi, we, we were reminded of, of one of those, one, 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 one of that, we were given an example of that. Someone who's done a lot to help alleviate the suffering in this very poverty-stricken nation. This person has adopted poor children from Malawi. She started a, a foundation called Raising Malawi, dedicated to helping with extreme poverty and hardship endured by Malawi's one million orphans. Anybody know who I'm referring to? Madonna. The singer, Madonna. And as far as I know, she's not doing these things for the glory of God. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus was, was, was not just speaking of external actions alone. He was speaking of our internal motivations. Remember, Jesus was not impressed by the external. He was concerned about the heart. We can't miss the fact that Matthew 5.16 comes in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. A sermon which focuses not on, on what we do, but who we are. The focus is our heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They have a heart of humility. Blessed are those who mourn. They have a heart of compassion. Blessed are the meek or the gentle. They have a kind and loving heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a heart for the things of, of God. Blessed are the merciful. They have a heart of mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They have a heart that rejects sin. Blessed are the peacemakers. They have a heart that seeks unity. To paraphrase Matthew 5.16 in context, let your light of humility and compassion and love and righteousness and mercy and purity and peace shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. This is the heart from which both the, the words and, and the works must flow if they're to bring glory to God. And this is the kind of heart that only comes from God. We, we need to get this too. God is glorified by our good works because only He can make them truly good. Peter understood this. He wrote in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's only by, by, by the grace and the, the gifts of God that we're able to speak His words and do good works. We can only glorify God by depending on God to work in and through us for His glory. So are we depending on God to work in and through us? Are we a God-glorifying church? Do, do we declare, do we show forth His, His greatness through our wor- works and through our words? Well, you might be thinking, isn't that what you're supposed to do, Pastor? Isn't that your job? Don't we pay you for that? Isn't that your job on Sunday morning to declare His greatness? Isn't it your job throughout the week to do good works that show His glory? Oh, yes. But it's not my job alone. I think we know this. I think we know this, but we need to be reminded. The church has a pastor, and the church has leaders, and the church meets on Sunday morning, but the church is much more than a Sunday morning service or the acts of one man, or a staff of people. The church is each and every one of us. The church is at Cal Poly Pomona. The church is at King High School, at Rialto High School, at Gage Middle School. We have a lot of teachers at California School for the Deaf. Woohoo! At Woodcrest Christian. The church is at Arrow Trailer. Is that, am I saying that right? Supplies, sorry. Got to bring that out. The church is at PCN, right, Tony? Church is at, uh, I don't know, Dan's Naval Academy. I don't know, what is it? What's that naval base called? Naval place you work, Dan? Right. The church used to be in a lot of other places, but we, so many of us have retired. 
I don't know what's going on here. But you get the point, don't you? The church is in your neighborhood. And in my neighborhood, because we are the church. The church is not a place we go. It's who we are. We are each individual members of the body of Christ. And, and we each have a part to play in glorifying God. And if we're going to be a successful church, then we as members of the church must engage, must be engaged in glorifying God throughout our week. We must, be, we must all be engaged in declaring His glory through our words and through our works. I challenge each and every member, each and every attender of Bridges Church this week, look for and take opportunities to glorify God. To declare His greatness through, through your words. Share with someone about what God is doing in your life and your works. Take an opportunity to help someone. Now, let me end today by making uh, this big concept of glorifying God very practical, taking it down to where we live. Let me share uh, a simple bad example from my life. This is what not to do, okay, if you want to glorify God. So last Saturday, I went to a, a garage sale. I went to several, but one in particular where I found some books that I wanted. I asked the guy, uh, how much for these, these books? It was a pretty good stack of books. He said, he looked at him, he said, $14. They were nice books, so I said, okay, usually I pay a quarter for books, but these were, these were nice. I handed him a 20, and he gave me back $16. So if you can do math, you know the, what's, what's going on here. He gave me $10 more than he was supposed to. And in that moment, I had a decision to make, right? Uh, what, what, what to do? So what do you guys think I did? You think so? That is so nice. That's so kind of you. You think a lot of me. Right. I gave him back the extra $10. I actually took the money and started walking away just to make sure, yeah, he did, okay. And I turned around and I gave it back to him. Why? Why did I do that? Because God has worked in my life so that I'm a pretty honest person. I have integrity because I've been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ working in my life. So I made the right decision. But I didn't realize I had two decisions to make. You see, when I gave him back the money, there was another man standing there. And he said, well, you don't see that very often. Meaning most people wouldn't do that. That honesty isn't, isn't common You see, at that moment, the people who saw my work of honesty were giving me the glory. And so what do you think I did next? What did you say? You said walked away? Anybody? Oh, don't I wish. <laughs> Remember, I said there'd be any bad example here. I just walked away. I said Nothing. I had an opportunity to glorify God, to say something like, uh, well, I wanted to keep that change. I mean, it's not, it's not me, but God has done a work in me. God has changed me so that, that I feel honesty is an important thing. Who knows where that conversation would have gone from there? I don't know because I said nothing. And so I would encourage you this week to learn from my uh, failure. Look for opportunities 
as the body of Christ to glorify God through your works, but follow it up with the proper words. Let people know that you worship and serve a great God who's transformed your life. If people want to know, I mean, that's the Peter passage. The people will come to you. They'll see your life has changed and they'll come to you and they'll ask you. Let them know that God has transformed your life. Let them know that God can transform their lives for His glory. Would you join me in prayer that that Bridges will truly be a God, a God-glorifying church? Father God, Lord, help us know. Help Help us love You. Help us know all the things, the many things things we've seen in Romans and other places in Scripture, just how much you've given for us. Us who were undeserved. Us who were sinners and Christ died for us. Lord, help us to know that and to love you and to, and to seek to glorify you. Lord, give us opportunities. Lord, as we leave this place today, wherever we may be going and throughout our week, give us opportunities. Give us works to do that people will notice and say, what's different about these people, this person, and, and give us the words to share. That we may glorify and honor your name. That people may come to know you. That, that worshipers, God glorifiers will be created, Lord. That we would understand that that's our purpose. That that's why we're here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So now let's glorify God together. In song.